From the mountains to the forests to the ocean, black with oil. The American West was one giant smoke out this summer and not the fun kind. Historic wildfires across the region darkened skies and created a naturally beautiful sunsets due to all the harmful particulates in the air. And that air, oi, unbreathable. Get mad at COVID-19 masks all you want, folks. But to paraphrase Gertrude Stein, with masks, maybe there's a there there. I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. It's Wednesday, October 13th, 2021. Today, we talk about air quality. Long the bane of metro areas like Los Angeles and Phoenix, 2021 saw air pollution, well, pollute formerly pristine forests and lakes and wildlife and nature. And that was just what infernos emitted. Meanwhile, diesel trucks and warehouses continue to spew noxious fumes into the air, inordinately affecting communities of color. Breathe in, breathe out, and don't do it again without some pure oxygen handy, if you can find any, because, well, coronavirus is still a thing. It's times like these that we fall back in our monthly panel, our panel apparel, my colleagues of catastrophe, these experts of emergencies, who try to give us solace in these very, very dark and hot and unbreathable times. Yup, it's time for our Masters of Disaster. Musica Maestro. And the earthquake chair, as always, is LA Times earthquake reporter Ron Lynn. Ron, can we push air pollution into fault lines to choke them to death and then there'll be never any earthquakes ever again? <laughs> yeah, maybe we can seal them up and uh, and bury them. Yeah, you see, I, I know I have good ideas. Holding the wildfire chair, as always, is wildfire reporter Alex Wigglesworth. Alex, what kind of air mass are best to bring out my eyes? One that works. <laughs> That's a great... That touche. Coastal Everything Master Rosanna Shaw is off because she's already working on next month's disaster, sadly. Water quality. I can't believe I'm actually going to say this, but stay strong, Huntington Beach. And this month, we welcome a new master, our air quality Cicero, Tony Barboza. Tony, welcome to the Wolf Squad. Thank you. All right, Tony, you've covered air quality in Southern California for years now. How bad was it this year in the American West as a result of all the wildfires? So it's not your imagination. Air quality has been getting worse uh, pretty markedly the last few years, especially with these record-setting wildfires we've been having. They've all been throwing up a lot more smoke into the air than we've seen really ever before. And in Southern California, the historical culprit for bad air has always been exhaust fumes from automobiles that eventually cause smog. And then in recent years, air quality got even worse because of all these huge warehouses and the trucks that do shipments to and from them. You did reporting earlier this year. What did you find on them? Right. Um, the long-term story on air quality is actually really positive in that California used to have really terrible smog that spanned most of the L.A. basin. And Decades and decades of tough air pollution regulations have brought that under control. What we've seen in recent years is a big deterioration of that progress and reversing of that progress. And one of the things we've seen is that the air quality has gotten um, started to get worse again in some of these areas that are also uh, magnets for diesel trucks. So we're talking about uh, inland communities like Riverside and San Bernardino, where they've seen a big explosion in in warehouses and uh, these are places where 
In addition to the smog, they also are just seeing a big influx of trucks. So you've got the local pollution and the regional pollution adding on top of each other. So anytime you pick next day delivery, another kid gets asthma, basically. Right. These these neighborhoods that are near warehouses also have some of the highest asthma rates. Um, you know, also, you know, it's all transportation corridors in general. Um, you look at the neighborhoods near warehouses, uh, rail yards, freeways and ports, and they have some of the highest uh, rates of cancer risk and asthma. And that's due to their proximity to huge sources of diesel pollution. It seems like in California, it's always one step forward to beat back air pollution, then two step back. So there's always been activism on this going back for decades. But especially in recent years, you have these humongous warehouses and you have this, well, they're giving us a lot of jobs. So maybe all of you who are breathing in this bad air uh, sucks. Sorry. So what are activists doing now against that? Yeah, there's it's actually an issue that kind of has two uh, angles to the problem where one issue is the increase in trucks. It's bringing more pollution. And the other issue is kind of a lack of land use planning. So you have neighborhoods where, you know, people bought houses out in um, in inland areas uh, thinking they would have a nice, calm area. And then lo and behold, a few uh, years later, a giant warehouse is their next door neighbor. And they're dealing with hundreds of trucks uh, driving by their house every day. So you've kind of got uh, two parts to that problem. And uh, it started to deal with some of the air quality side, but the land use uh, side is really not being addressed. Now that the Democrats have that supermajority over California, they're really trying to be ahead of this. You also did a story that we're going to launch satellites to rat out greenhouse gas emitters. Right. The amount of monitoring that, you know, California does of air quality is really uh, significant. You know, it's changed a lot in the last few years, not only using satellites, but using these remote, low-cost air quality sensors. So you can really get a sense really down to a fine grain of detail uh, where, you know, the smoke or where the smog is uh, worst. Any truth to the rumor that one of these satellites is going to be called Captain Planet? I have not heard that one. Oh, Tony, you do not have the sources that I do. We'll be back after this break. Alex, as our wildfire master, you had to deal with two mega disasters this summer, not just the fires themselves, but also all the smoke that came with them. So how does this smoke differ from, say, the smoke that happens when I burn my carne asada? I would imagine that you are not putting lead paint in your food. Um, Wildfire smoke is a really nasty mix of stuff. Um, If you think of all the things that might burn, you have trees and shrubs, but you also have homes, furnishings, cars, all kinds of plastics and metals. Um, There's also a lot of things scientists don't know about wildfire smoke. Like there's some evidence it can transport microbes, things like bacteria and fungi, but it's not clear how far or how much of a danger that can pose to people. That's gotten a lot of attention recently, and it's something that researchers are currently studying. Um, Experts say the biggest known health threat comes from these fine particles, which can reach really deep into your lungs and even your bloodstream. And wildfires are a significant source of this stuff, A study published last year by researchers at Stanford and UC San Diego, which Tony actually wrote about, estimated that wildfires now account for up to half of all fine particle pollution in the Western U.S. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, the hotter and more intensely a fire burns, the higher it tends to send this stuff up into the atmosphere. So the farther it can travel, which is you know, why we're seeing such a huge geographic area of people being affected by this stuff. And what are the health risks? Yeah, short-term exposure to wildfire smoke can irritate your lungs and your eyes. It can cause inflammation, affect your immune system, and make you more prone to infections. And that includes the coronavirus. Um, We know less about the dangers of long-term exposure just because it hasn't been studied as much yet. Um, Although some research has linked smoke to decreased lung function in older people even years later. Oh, man, like, I don't know. The American West has had wildfires for forever, and only now are we thinking like, oh, yeah, wow, it's going to be a thing. Uh, Maybe we should have started investigating it a little bit more a long time ago. Well, I think what's changed is you have more people that are being exposed to more smoke um, for longer periods of time each year, and that's something that's kind of newer. Is the amount of wildfire smoke we're exposed to then growing over time? Yeah, we've talked before about how climate change has resulted in fire seasons that are longer and more active. And we just had the hottest summer on record in California. Some areas just wrapped up their driest water year. And that, plus the overgrown conditions we're seeing in some of these forests, also means that these fires are growing larger and burning more intensely. And we keep building more homes in fire-prone areas. So all that means, like we said, more people are being exposed to the smoke um, for longer amounts of time each year. In fact, there was a recent analysis by NPR's California Newsroom and researchers at Stanford University. And they found that parts of L.A. experienced about nine smoky days per year from 2009 to 2013. But when they looked at the period of 2016 to last year, that had increased to about 33 days a year. That's a huge jump. And it happened recently. To badly paraphrase T.S. Eliot, the disasters come and go, but then they just stay in the air and mess it up for uh, our lungs even more so. Ooh, I rhymed that one, too. Yay, me. Um, You don't have to respond, Alex. I'm sure you're like, ah. (laughs) Thank you for the charity laugh. Ron, before you were an earthquake master, you were a wildfire master apprentice, so you've endured bad air quality conditions before. So how would you recommend people in California prepare for, you know, if the air is going to be worse and worse, what should we do? Yeah, so one thing is that even when the pandemic fades, and it will fade, it's still probably going to be a good idea to have your N95 mask, KN95, KF94. For smoke, I actually prefer a P100 mask. And it just provides you, in a really bad situation, I was up covering the Paradise uh, fire um, some years ago, and it just gives you that that relief, because otherwise you'll get this, like, kind of this, this very... Uh, terrible feeling in your throat and you just feel kind of dizzy sometimes. And so it can give you kind of a little bit of relief. Oh, God. Uh, So basically, don't put away those masks. Get masks right now at Home Depot before there's a run on it and then load up as much as possible. Yeah. And the other thing is, uh, is get an air filter. And (laughs) of course, the only time that I ever bothered to buy an air filter was during the worst horrific smoke (laughs) that I've felt in my lifetime um, up in the Bay Area. And for me, it was, it was buying, um, it it doesn't have to be a fancy one. You can, there are probably things where you can get like super fancy air filters, but the key thing to look out for is a HEPA air filter. And then you can run it, it acts like a fan, um, but you you do install these filters that you replace every so often, and it provides just enormous relief if the if the smoke gets really bad. And where do you put the air filters? 
So I have three. So I have one uh, in each uh, bedroom and uh, one in the living room. And and in in the worst kind of situation, it, it I just run it at full blast, and it makes a huge difference in in feeling like you can live rather than than feel like uh, you're you're slowly dying. Yay, we're slowly living. I love it. Okay, so you were, you talked about some of the worst uh, smoke you ever saw up in the barrier. That was last year, where it was so messing with the sun that it looked like it looked like Technicolor, super, super orange. And then this year, it also happened in Lake Tahoe, where it's not supposed to happen because Lake Tahoe is famous for its blue waters. How is it as someone to see this, to watch all of this? It's pretty horrific. When I woke up, it was dark outside. Uh, the the sky was like a dark, you know, gray, you know, bathed in orange. It was so scary that our pet bunny, Jewel, was like clearly freaked out. She was like running around, you know, as if she thought that the sun had been blotted out. Uh, and then when I went outside, uh, it was like several degrees cooler and there was just like ash everywhere. It was just not even safe to go out, um, you know, really just because you, you had all these these big kind of ashy particles uh, around. So to me, it was kind of my introduction to, you know, the California of the future, sorry to say, um, you know, th- this idea that like we got to be prepared for maybe, you know, as Alex was saying, like a month worth of bad smoke a year. Luckily, you know, around where up in the Bay Area, we actually haven't had that bad of a a smoky year uh, since. So uh, at least for this year. So maybe maybe it's not an every year kind of thing, but it is something to kind of keep in mind, you know, as we think about our Septembers and Octobers, you know, unless we can really figure out a way to stop uh, uh, these ignitions from happening, it's something that we have to be prepared about as an East Coaster might have to be prepared for snow season. Uh, Tony Bennett's going to have to record a new song. I I left my gas mask in San Francisco. (laughs) I I had to say it. Sorry. Here's another Tony. Tony, you're our air quality master supreme. What's ultimately worse, wildfire smoke, diesel exhaust, or just regular old tailpipe emissions? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think Alex mentioned it a little bit that um, the difficulty with answering that question is there's really not enough research into this longer term exposure to wildfire smoke, there's a lot of scientists who think it might be worse than your typical smog or uh, diesel type exhaust. We know that diesel exhaust and the pollutants in diesel are really bad, you know, they cause uh, cancer. Um, But there just hasn't been the history of these weeks and even months long exposure to wildfire smoke. So that's really like what's new, um, that people really need to be preparing for these longer bouts of smoke pollution, they need to have a plan for how to deal with that. Have a you know have a room inside your home where you have one of these filters that Ron uh, was talking about, um, because this is not something that's going to be going away. I just still can't get over the fact that scientists who have done, of course, science is great, but that only now have they really been paying attention to, hey, maybe we should study how dangerous wildfire smoke is. Like, did they really think that? It was only going to be limited every once in a while. It just, it, it blows my mind away. It's really a reflection of how the the nature of air pollution has changed. And anyone who lived in LA in the 70s, 80s, or 90s could tell you just how visceral a problem uh, smog was. And it was just front and center, horrible air. That we've made a lot of progress on. But meanwhile, climate change has gone, you know, progressed and gotten much worse, and we're now kind of reaping uh, what we sowed with that. We're we're now kind of seeing the um, 
the expression of climate change um, worsening this other type of air pollution. For all our masters, how concerned have you seen people about air quality? I mean, it's easy to talk about, oh, gosh, there's no water. Oh, it's too hot. Earthquakes, get prepared for the earthquake pack. But air, I mean, we don't even think about air because we have to, we're breathing it every half second. Well, I'll just say that uh, that there's been a lot of like opinion polling on this question and particularly in California. I mean, everyone cares about the environment a lot, but air quality has long stood out as one of the top priorities and concerns right up there with wildfires and climate change. So, and then just in my daily reporting, I kind of get this sense that people are very aware of air pollution and the sources around them that are uh, are generating it, you know, whether it's the freeway or a factory next door. But yeah, what really is changing is kind of just this more of this smoke that we're all being exposed to. Uh, you can be hundreds of miles away from the fire, still be breathing horrible air. Yeah, and I think that air quality has become more of a thing uh, in part because of Tony's coverage, which has made me terrified about air quality. He had this terrifying story uh, a number of years ago where he wrote about how dangerous it was to live near freeways and how <laughs> even a future full of electric cars won't won't be our saving grace because every time you, you press your brake pedal, you're going to spew some of your, your brake uh, whatever into the air. Um, and so I, I think about that every time I press the brake pedal on the freeway, Tony, thanks. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, I have noticed that it has become more of a, the public dialogue. I mean, I, I have seen you know, more people, you know, get interested in electric cars. I, it, it helps a little bit. And, and I think the, the idea of improving air quality is, is, a, is, is a factor behind why people are interested, at least in the Bay Area, for more electric cars. I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised by the answers our masters are telling us right now. Alex? I agree that people really care about this. Um, it's, it's become inescapable and a really visible reminder of, you know, what these fires are doing to our ecosystems. Like there were places this summer where people basically didn't see the sun for weeks. Um, and some of them were miles away from where a fire was actually burning. Like before you could have, you know, sunny weather, cloudy, foggy, maybe rainy every once in a while for us. But now you wake up and look at your phone to check the weather some days and it just says smoky. Like, I know a lot of people who canceled um, or adjusted plans this summer just because there were some areas where it didn't feel safe to be outside. Of all the disasters before us, is air quality the most fixable man-made one? I mean, I remember that hole in the ozone layer when I was growing up and we kind of fixed it. I think there's an argument for that, especially when you look at how successful uh, California has been in in reducing like car emissions. You know, the, the emissions that come out of like a new car today are a tiny, tiny fraction of, of what would they would have uh, generated decades ago. But you have also have a lot of new dimensions complicating that, the, the rising temperatures, um, the worsening wildfires is definitely working against all of that. It makes me think of what happens in, in China, right, in Beijing, where you know, years ago, I mean, pollution was bad, but then you would get these kind of crazy kind of emissions uh, that just made almost, it just seemed unlivable and, and you know, it was not a, a pleasant place to be. Uh, but you can also kind of see what can happen. I mean, you know, when, when Beijing really wants to, to impress people, they can order all the factories to be shut off and, and the air returns. Um, and so it shows that you can change things. Um, but you know, we don't want to get into a future where, as is the case in some parts of China, where children, when they draw pictures, you know, demonstrating their day, the sky is never blue, it's always gray. And that's because, for the most part, that's what's normal. 
uh, there. So I, I'm hoping that we can figure out a way where, you know, our Septembers and our Octobers aren't always filled with these kind of apocalyptic looking skies, but also that we have a sense where our regular everyday lives uh, have cleaner air. Well, we had that for a little bit last year. We were all sheltering in place. So maybe we need more coronaviruses to clean up the air? <laughs> no. <laughs> exactly. Ay, ay, ay. Alex, quick word. Um. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to the wildfire piece of it, there are things that can be done to try and mitigate some of this. I mean, one of them is... Um, you know, we talked about how the fact that fires are burning so hot and intensely, you know, is sending this, is releasing so much smoke and sending it so far away. Um, there are efforts to restore more regular low-intensity fires to those landscapes um, by doing things like prescribed burning. Um, but it's really difficult to do it at the scale that's needed. Um, there are a lot of barriers to that, but that's one way by, you know, releasing some of this energy um, when conditions are better that can help um, avoid these big fires where all that energy gets released kind of uncontrollably at once. And that's a really good point that Alex just just mentioned. The idea, it's not just a California thing. The smoke doesn't just doesn't stay here. And I was kind of impressed and appalled uh, when we saw, you know, our smoke float all the way over to New York City. So it's really a national kind of issue to the point where, uh, there really should be a national dialogue on how to reduce the the risks of of wildfires because it will affect uh, people in the U.S. from coast to coast. Yeah, I was actually visiting Philly earlier this summer, and it was really gray and overcast, and they said it was smog from the wildfires in California. So, of course, everybody was joking that, like, oh, I brought the weather with me from the West Coast. Just another reason for everyone to hate California. Thanks a lot, Masters. We'll be back after this break. And finally, as is our tradition with Masters of Disasters, after all the talk of gloom and doom, we have to end with joy. We'll start with Ron. Ron, what's bringing you joy this month? So um, there's a little tradition we do with our pet rabbit, Jewel, uh, every night, which is to uh, to feed her, her her daily treat. It's a banana. It's just a little slice of banana. But it's the point where um, we'll do this, this thing where uh, I'll tap her on her butt and uh, she'll run around me uh, seven times, and she'll actually kind of know when the seventh tap is, because then she'll be like, hey, stop it, we need we need the banana, no more games. Oh, and seven's a mystical number, so I think Jewel is actually the salvation of mankind, so please keep doing that seventh tap, Ron, please. <laughs> Will do. Alex, what's your joy? Um, my favorite thing about October is something called the Highway 62 Art Tour. Um, it's out in the desert. Highway 62 is like the main artery that runs through Yucca Valley, Joshua Tree, and 29 Palms. And all the artists around there, um, which there are like hundreds, um, open their studios up and you go get a map and then you can drive around to all of them and buy their art. So I love doing that. I get people's Christmas presents from it all the time. It's really fun. Yeah, that's a cool drive and quirky communities up there. And of course, all the hipsters are ruining it and desert ruination, but that's a whole nother disaster. Tony, what's bringing you joy this month? Yeah, I have to say it's the uh, pending arrival of Halloween. I It's one of my favorite holidays. Um, I've got a, a giant inflatable Jack Skellington uh, decoration in my front yard and um, looking forward to watching a lot of scary movies. Ooh, what are you going to dress up as? 
I have not decided yet, but I, I, I'll come up with it soon. D- dress up as El Nino, another disaster. Yeah, it's got to be weather climate related. So I'll, I'll go, try for that. And Rosanna again is on break, but we, she is. No, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Wow. Oh my God. Rosanna, our coastal master coming in because she needs to bring the joy. And if I know her, she's going to bring corny joy. I'm so sorry. I'm swooping in from so many breaking news stories. I've been running around a lot this week learning about science, but I promised y'all a joke. So here I am pulled over on the side of the road, ready to go. So, Gustavo, I was going to do a jellyfish joke, but that would have been a no-brainer. Oh, my God. Uh, Okay, here's uh, another one. Here's another one. Just in case you didn't laugh, I had a second one in my back pocket. What do you call a pony with a cough? Cough pony. A little horse. (laughs) Waka, waka, waka. Rosanna, you always bring the corn. Next time, bring some pop with it. But thank you so much for bringing jokes. Thank you, our masters, Tony Barboza on air quality, Rosanna Shaw on the coast, Ron Lynn on the earthquakes, and Alex Wigglesworth on the fires. Thank you all for this latest episode of Masters of Disasters. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow, California passed a law in 2018 requiring corporations have at least one woman on its board of directors. How's it worked out? Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Melissa Kaplan, Ashley Brown, and Marina Peña. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editors are Shawnee Hilton and Lauren Rabb, and our theme music is by Andrew Eatman. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow The Times on whatever platform you use. Don't make us the Puche Podcasts. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news on this matter. Gracias. <laughs>